to roam without the shackles of a structure um, to kind of pick, pick what, was, what was exciting to me to talk about. Uh, we're still going to be in the Bible, good news, but we're actually going to do something a little bit different. We're going to do like a whole chunk of Bible. We're going to do two whole chapters of Bible. We're going to read them word for word uh, and make our way through them. So if you uh, do have a Bible handy or you've got a Bible app handy, it would be worth your while turning to the book of 2 Kings uh, and chapter 22, because that's where we'll be spending, um, 22 and 23 is where we'll be this morning. Are you like me? Uh, do you use uh, this period of time to get your house in order? Is, is, that, is, that, is that what's happening in, in your home at the moment? The Christmas busyness is behind us. We've, we've started on a new year and maybe our minds have started to turn to what can come next. I mean, the shops have already started to turn to what could come next. Elise went to the, the, the shops on, was it the 26th or the 27th of December and bought us some hot cross buns. Um, we've got them in the fridge right now. They're delicious any time of year, but they are not seasonal any time of year. Um, there's a lull before, before school starts for, the, for, the, for those with small children. Um, there is an unsightly pile of cardboard and wrapping paper in some corner of the house, possibly in the spare room. There's your young children running up on stage where they shouldn't be. Um, my, my young children, for those who don't know. Um, you're back at the gym. You're trying out that diet that you've been meaning to try. This is, this is what we do in January, isn't it? We, we get our house at order. You're working out the new budget. You're getting ready for the year ahead. Well, why don't we, why don't we capture some of that enthusiasm this morning uh, and we'll get stuck into thinking what it means for us to clean house spiritually. What, what, what would it mean for us to, to walk with the Lord in the year of 2022? What would it look like for this to be a, a year of spiritual blessing? Giving shape to our reflections this morning, we're going to be looking at the life of one of Israel's kings. Um, it's, it's a good change of pace in, in, our, in our sermon series at the moment. We've been making our way through the book of Romans before we paused for, for Christmas. And, and we've been going really kind of remarkably slow. We'll be in the chapter of Romans 8, probably still for another couple of months. And yet today we're going to go and look at a big sweep of Israel's history as recorded in the Bible, um, where we see a different kind of lesson. We're going to see the very human tendency towards spiritual inertia on display and, and the destination to which it leads. We're also going to see that even in the darkest days, spiritually speaking, there is still the hope of redemption. Um, in my own devotional times over the, the end of last year, I've read through First and Second Kings, which was, was um, a nice experience to get the whole history of the nation of Israel during the monarchy fresh in my mind, where we see this, this pattern begin to emerge from King David through to the fall of Jerusalem under the Babylonians, First and Second Kings tells us. Um, we are going to, um, just to give shape to our thoughts this morning, why don't, we, why, don't, why don't I quickly read to you from the end of Exodus, the beginning of the nation of Israel as a nation. Um, in, in Exodus 24, the picture is that Israel have just been brought out from Egypt, have, have just seen all of the, the miraculous things um, that God has done to, to bring them to where they are. They are now gathered at the foot of Sinai, where God establishes his covenant with them through the man Moses. Um, he gives them the law, and we get this scene in Exodus 24. It says, then he said to Moses, that's God speaking, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with them. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken, 
we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins and half of the blood and threw it against the altar. And then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. This is the beginning of Israel. But right here, we, we kind of need the voice of Morgan Freeman, don't we, as the narrator saying that they did not, in fact, keep the covenant. That, that is not what happened in the, in the history of Israel. Actually, um, the history of Israel begins almost immediately to take a shape that becomes predictable because it repeats so often through their hundreds of years. Israel sins against God. They fail to keep covenant with him. Specifically, they, they begin to indulge in idolatry. They begin to worship the gods of the land, um, that, 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 uh, the land of Canaan, that God has now given them as the holy land, the, the gods of the people that God drove out before them. Um, they worship the gods of the nations that the true God had sent them to drive out and destroy. Israel sins. God punishes them by turning them over to their enemies for a time. During their time of suffering and persecution, Israel will cry out to the true God for rescue. They will repent of their sins. God, who is gracious, will remember his covenant with them and despite their sin, will restore them. And a restored Israel will grow complacent and begin to indulge in idolatry. This is the pattern of the whole history of Israel. It is easy to understate the size of Israel's unfaithfulness to their God. Um, in order to see it, what we're going to do is we're going to turn to the other end of their history. In the period of the monarchy, all in all, the nation of Israel had 40, um, between the two, the, the northern and southern kingdom, had 42 kings and one queen. 42 kings and one queen. And of them, in the northern kingdom, called Israel, not one single king is given God's tick of approval as being a faithful man. Not one. And the queen, I believe, as well. She was in the north. In the southern kingdom, should we just pause there just for a moment? Just get your head around that. The northern kingdom took, comprised 10 of the 12 tribes. Not one faithful king in their entire history. In the southern kingdom called Judah, which had its capital in Jerusalem, there were 20 kings in all. Um, 12 are condemned and eight are found to be faithful. Eight. The worst king that the nation of Judah ever had was a man by the name of Manasseh. His sin was so great that the Lord made the final decision to overturn the nation of Israel and to let them be conquered by the Babylonians. This is what it says um, in summarizing the life of Manasseh in 2 Kings 21. The Lord said by his servant, the prophets, because Manasseh, king of Judah, has committed these abominations, 
and has done things more evil than all the Amorites did, who were before him, and has made Judah also to sin with his idols. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing upon Jerusalem and Judah such disaster that the ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. And I will stretch over Jerusalem the measuring line of Samaria and the plumb line of the house of Ahab, and I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. And I will forsake the remnant of my heritage and give them into the hand of their enemies." And they shall become a prey and a spoil to all their enemies because they have done what is evil in my sight and have provoked me to anger since the day their fathers came out of Egypt, even to this day. Do you feel those words with, this, with, with, with Sinai fresh in our ears? We've just read it. The people said all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. Since they're since the day their fathers came out of Egypt, even to this day, they have done what is evil in my sight and have provoked me to anger. Interestingly, this is, this is where we'll spend most of our time today. Manasseh was, was Judah's worst king. And as a result of Manasseh's reign, God decided to turn the nation of Judah over to the Babylonians. That was the end of the independent nation of Israel for a very, very, very long time, certainly to the, the end of the Old Testament. The greatest king, the greatest king that Israel ever had was Manasseh's grandson, a man by the name of Josiah. Uh, in, in reading the account of the life of Josiah, we get two things. Um, we get in, in kind of stark, shocking detail, the size of the fall of the nation of Israel, the state that they had let their lives become. But we also get another picture. We get a picture of what it looks like to restore the true worship of God when you're not starting from healthy, to restore the true worship of God in a time of unfaithfulness. We're going to read the whole of his reign because it's time well spent. Josiah was eight years old, 2 Kings 22, when he began to reign. And he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidiah, the daughter of Adadiah of, of Bozkath. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the way of David, his father. And he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. In the 18th year of King Josiah, the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, son of Meshulam, the secretary, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah the high priest, that he may count the money that has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the uh, keepers of the threshold have collected from the people. And let it be given into the hand of workmen, who have the oversight of the house of the Lord, and let them give it to the workmen who are at the house of the Lord, repairing the house, that is, the carpenters, and to the builders, and to the masons, and let them use it, for buying timber, quarried stone to repair the house. But no accounting shall be asked from them for the money that is delivered into their hands, for they deal honestly. At this point in time, the, the, the temple has form, fallen into some state of disrepair. And Josiah, who is a faithful king, releases the money for the repairs to be undertaken. And an amazing thing happens. 
Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. What is the book of the law? We, we, don't, we don't know for certain, but, but it's, it's some portion of the Old Testament. Um, most, the, the majority opinion seems to be that it was the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy. Up until this point, this book, the word of the Lord, the, 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 the Old Testament, has laid forgotten in some cupboard in the temple. And after Josiah undertakes to begin the repairs, the high priest at the temple says, I found a thing. I thought the king might like to see it. The book of the law. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan and he read it. And Shaphan, the secretary, came to the king and reported to the king, your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hands of the workmen who have oversight of the house of the Lord. And then Shaphan, the secretary, told the king, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. And when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. The king commanded Hilkiah, the priest, and Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, and Akbor, the son of Micaiah, and Shaphan, the secretary, and Isaiah, the king's servant, saying, go inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found, for great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. And so Hilkiah the priest and Hikim and Akbor and Shaphan and Isaiah went to Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikvah, son of Hahas, keeper of the wardrobe. Now she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter and they talked with her. And she said to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, tell the man who, you, who sent you to me, thus says the Lord, behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants, all the words of the book that the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods that they might provoke me to anger with all the work of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be kindled against this place and it will not be quenched. But to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard, because your heart was penitent and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard how I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse. And you have torn your clothes and you have wept before me. I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. And your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I will bring upon this place. And they brought back word to the king. In some ways, it's a sad message, isn't it? That the, the sin of, men, of the nation under King Manasseh was so great that even in the reign of a king as righteous as Josiah, God is still determined to bring his judgment to bear. But on account of Josiah's faithfulness and humility before the God, on account of Josiah's repentance, God says this, this punishment which is definitely coming isn't coming in your lifetime. I'll wait until after you've departed. What does Josiah do next? And then the king sent... And all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem were gathered to him. 
And the king went up to the house of the Lord, and with him all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the prophets, all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the law, the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of David. And the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord, to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people joined in the covenants, like the foot of Sinai again, isn't it? The king commanded Hilkiah, the high priest, and the priests of the second order and the keepers of the threshold to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels made for Baal. Hang on a second. Hang on a second. Did you, did you hear what we just read? As, as, as Josiah begins to bring the nation of Israel in line with the, the law of God, suddenly they become aware of the need to clean house. The first, the first thing that we've seen is that there are altars to Baal inside the temple at Jerusalem. How on earth did they get there? They, that, they have no place there. Israel's faithfulness, faithlessness has been, has been so great that even the temple itself has been desecrated and allowed to be turned to the worship of other gods. If that shocks you, there's worse to come. The king commanded Hilkiah, the high priest, and the priests of the second order and the keepers of the threshold to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels made for Baal and for Asherah and for all the host of heaven. And he burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. And he deposed the priests whom the kings of Judah had ordained to make offerings in the high places at the cities of Judah and around Jerusalem. Those also who burned incense to Baal, to the sun and the moon and to the constellations and all the host of heaven. And he brought out the Asherah from the house of the Lord outside Jerusalem to the brook Kidron and burned it. And Asherah, um, the, Asherah was a, a god of fertility. It's literally like a giant carved phallus that people would worship in order to become fertile. That was, that was the worship of Asherah. Has been erected, sorry, inside the temple in Jerusalem. That was an accident. He brought out the Asherah from the house of the Lord outside Jerusalem to the brook Kidron. And he burned it at the brook Kidron and beat it to dust and cast the dust of it upon the graves of the common people. And he broke down the houses of the male cult prostitutes who were in the house of the Lord. You heard right. There is a pagan brothel inside the temple in Jerusalem. Um, usually to do with the worship of, of Asherah. You can imagine what they were getting up to. Where the women wove hangings for the Asherah. And he brought all the priests out of the cities of Judah and defiled the high places where the priests had made offerings from Geba to Beersheba. And he broke down the high places of the gates that were at the entrance of the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city, which were on one's left at the gate of the city. However, the priests of the high places did not come up to the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, but they ate unleavened bread among their brothers. And he defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, that no one might burn his son or his daughter as an offering to Moloch. He removed the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the sun 
at the entrance to the house of the Lord by the chamber of Nathan Melech, the chamberlain, which was in the precincts. And he burned the chariots of the sun with fire and the altars on the roof of the upper chamber of Ahaz, which the kings of Judah had made and the altars that Manasseh had made in the two courts of the house of the Lord. He pulled down and broken pieces and cast the dust of them into the brook Kidron. The king defiled the high places that were east of Jerusalem to the south of the Mount of Corruption, which Solomon, the king of Israel, had built for Ashtoreth, the abomination of the Sidonians, and for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And he broke in pieces the pillars and cut down the ashram and filled their places with the bones of men. Moreover, the altar at Bethel, the high place erected by Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin, that altar with the high place, he pulled down and burned. Just, just if you haven't noticed what's happened here, because you probably haven't. The king of the southern kingdom of Judah has been cleaning house in the southern kingdom of Judah. This is, this is in the period of time when they are alone, the kingdom of Israel. The northern kingdom has already been destroyed by the Assyrians. When, when, the, when the nation of, of Israel first split into two separate kingdoms, it was during the reign of two kings, one by the name of Rehoboam, one by the name of Jeroboam, the sons of Solomon. Um, well, the son of Solomon and the other father. Um, and the first thing that happens when the northern kingdom splits away is they've lost access to the temple in Jerusalem. And so they begin to build another place for people to worship, but they, they build altars to false gods there. That altar has stood in place since the lifespan of the child of Solomon. Josiah tears it down. This, this is not in, this, this is the point, this is not in the southern kingdom anymore. The northern kingdom has been carried away into captivity, but Josiah's desire to see the Holy Land worship God properly is, is so wholehearted that he begins to go north from even his own lands and begins to tear down the altars in the northern kingdom, which no longer even exists. He pulled down and burned it, reducing it to dust. He also burned the Asherah. And as Josiah turned, he saw the tombs there on the mount and he sent and took the bones out of the tombs and burned them on the altar and defiled it according to the word of the Lord that the man of God had proclaimed who had predicted these things as a prophet further back in the book. And then he said, what is that monument I see? And the men of the city told him it is the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and predicted these things that you have done against the altar at Bethel. He said, let him be, let no man move his bones. And so they let his bones alone with the bones of the prophet who came out of Samaria. Josiah removed all the shrines also of the high places that were in the cities of Samaria. Once again, that's the northern kingdom, which the kings of Israel had made, provoking the Lord to anger. He did to them according to all he had done at Bethel. And he sacrificed all the priests of the high places who were there on the altars and burned human bones on them. And then he returned to Jerusalem. And the king commanded all the people, keep the Passover to the Lord your God, as it is written in this book of the covenant. For no such Passover had been kept since the days of the judges who judged Israel or during all the days of the kings of Israel or the kings of Judah. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was kept to the Lord in Jerusalem. King David never kept the Passover. Get your head around that. That the Passover, the Passover is so significant in the worship life of Israel. It's it's their Easter. 
It's their redemption story. When God passed over their sins in the land of Egypt and that very night brought them out of slavery and made them into a people. And he commanded them, keep this feast annually as a memorial for you and for your children to all generations. And remember that I, the Lord, passed over your sin and redeemed you from slavery. Not since the days of the judges, the people who ruled in Israel before the kings, had the Passover been kept. Moreover, Josiah put away the mediums and the necromancers and the household gods and the idols and all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem, that he might establish the words of the law that were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. Before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. Still, the Lord did not turn from, his burnt, from the burning of his great wrath, by which his anger was kindled against Judah, because of all the provocations which Manasseh had provoked him. The Lord said, I will remove Judah also out of my sight as I have removed Israel, and I will cast off this city that I have chosen, Jerusalem, and the house of which I said, my name shall be there. Now the rest of the acts of Josiah and all that he did, are they not written in the books of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? In his days... Pharaoh, Necho, king of Egypt, went up to the king of Assyria, to the river Euphrates. King Josiah went to meet him, and Pharaoh, Necho, killed him at Megiddo, as soon as he saw him. And his servants carried him dead in a chariot from Megiddo, and brought him to Jerusalem, and buried him in his own tomb. And the people of the land took Jehoahaz, the son of Josiah, and anointed him, and made him king in his father's place. We'll stop there. It's quite a story, isn't it? As we read it, we see how far Israel had fallen. Does their sin shock you? It shocks me. What we also see is that it is possible to experience redemption. Brothers and sisters, like the Hebrews before us, God has established a covenant with us. It is different to the covenant made through Moses. It's not less important but rather more important. It is not less of a blessing, but rather more of a blessing. It is a covenant which has been established with us through the giving of his own son as a ransom. It is a covenant of grace which calls us to holiness and to pure and devoted worship. Like the people of the Old Testament, it is, it is of such high importance that we listen to and obey the word of God, not because we are accepted by our obedience, but because it is fitting that those who belong to the Lord should worship him. All the faithlessness that we just read about, we have to flee from by the grace that comes through Jesus. They celebrated the Passover in their repentance. The Passover. Our Passover lamb has already been sacrificed. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has come so that God's enemies might become his sons and daughters, that he might pass over our sins, which means that the Lord God, the one true God, intends to do his redeeming work in us here and now. Think with me. 
of some of the ways which, which the Lord found Israel unfaithful. And why don't we consider if any such kind of, un, of faithlessness exists in us. And if we find it there, let's do like Josiah did. Let's bring it to the Lord and experience his redemption. The first failure of Israel in keeping the covenant was their failure to know the word of God. Their failure to know the word of God. They had neglected it so to the point where it needed to be discovered. It was not a thing well known. Failure to know the Lord of God leads to sin, both accidental, in ignorance, and willing. How long had it lay in some forgotten cupboard, unheeded? Perhaps since the days of Manasseh, two generations beforehand. But evidently long enough for the people simply not to know. Imagine if no one had read the Bible since your grandparents' days. How many sins that God had warned them against were they walking into every day in ignorance? How many unnecessary pains and and, and sources of strife had become part of their lives daily? Josiah hears the words of the covenant and is grieved Grieved to find out how far they had wandered from who they were supposed to be. The Passover. Doesn't that shock you? Not kept since even before the days of David and Solomon. Josiah is the first and, as far as we can tell, only king of Israel to ever keep this observance. Neglected and forgotten. See, this is the problem that leads to all the other problems that we just read about. The failure to heed God's word is the, the, the source which creates all the other kinds of faithlessness. Because they failed to listen to God and to understand what he had said to him, uh, said to them, they wandered off to the right and to the left, unlike King Josiah who wandered off in neither direction from who they were supposed to be. As a nation, as a people, as worshippers, they became ships without an anchor, blown by the storm's of culture. And when it sits there so starkly, isn't it easy to see the problem? But we have to ask, do we live differently? Do we live differently? What role does the Word of God play in your life? Do you hear it? Do you know it? Do you obey it? It is not yet too late to have God's Word restored to its proper place in your life. We need it. We have much to gain by hearing him and obeying him and much to lose by ignoring him. The God of the universe has spoken to us and made his covenant with us. We should listen and only good can come of it. Listen, listen, listen to the word of God. The next floor we see in Israel is the worship of the world's idols. The gods Israel chose to prostitute themselves with weren't randomly selected or simply invented. They were the gods of the nations who had lived in Canaan before them. God had told them when he sent them to the land of Canaan, utterly destroy them or else your children will worship them. And they didn't and they did. That was part of their appeal. They were the local gods. 
That's why there was a desire to see them worshipped. There is something in us. There is something in us, right down to the deepest spiritual level, that draws a sense of legitimacy from doing what other people do. This is part of the human condition. God uses this instinct for good at times. Isn't, it's part of what happens here at church, isn't it? In, in, in fellowship, as we draw alongside one another to reinforce and to strengthen our mutual worship, don't we find it easier to worship God when there's someone else doing the same thing sitting next to me? But that instinct, sin takes it and perverts it into a heart that yearns for parity with and recognition from the world, the unbelieving world. We want to fit in. We want to be liked. We want to have the same values and purposes and lives as those around us. And we want to use the unbelieving world's methods to achieve that success. It is a drive in us, just like it is in them. We have to ask ourselves, when we see this idolatry in Egypt, where do we turn for what we need in life? For provision, for safety, for security, for rescue, to make our plans, even for our desires, the things that we want in life that are optional, we have to ask ourselves, how far down the list is the Lord? Because if it isn't the Lord, it will be an obvious thing. How long do we spend making plans for what we want to see happen in life and in this world before we stop and we consult him prayerfully and by reading his word? How long before we turn to him and ask, Lord, give us today our daily bread? It comes from you. Because if it isn't the Lord, it'll be something else. And something else is an obvious thing. It will be the things that this world that we live in thinks are normal. That's where we will turn for what we need. And if you haven't noticed yet, our culture gets God wrong and has become morally and spiritually confused as a result. You don't want to build your life on the unbelieving world's priorities and values unless you want to share their journey on the road of destruction. No, we have a better foundation, brothers and sisters, a better hope, a better source of wisdom, restraint, courage. Are you shaping your life on the world's worship or are you depending on the Lord and the Lord alone? to see success in life. Lastly, the sin we see in them is the complete lack of holiness. The complete lack of holiness. It's unsurprising, really, if you think about it. Between neglecting God's word and embracing the world's idols, the people had become immoral. Practices that they had grown to tolerate and emulate seem unthinkable when we read of them in a single day, don't they? But not only were they not unthinkable, this is how they were living. To an excessive degree, sin had become normalized amongst God's people. You were weird if you didn't participate in the worship of Asherah. You were unusual if you were devoted to God alone and rejected the worship of Milcom and Baal. Does it shock you to hear that they had gone as far as to build pagan brothels in the temple? It should. A replica of God's throne room in heaven here on earth. Does it 
shock you to hear that a king of Israel had engaged in child sacrifice. That didn't happen overnight. The people of Israel didn't wake up on Sunday morning holy and devoted to the Lord their God and completely involved in the worship of him with their whole lives, only to wake up on Monday and think, no, that was a bad idea. I'm going to go kill my kid. That's, that's not how that happens. It's one compromise at a time over years. It's one king building an altar to a false god. It's the next king building another altar. It's the people looking at their leaders and thinking, well, if they can do it, I must be allowed to do it as well. I'll build one at home on my roof. It's a failure of parents to speak of the words of the law in their home and to write them on the doorposts of their doors like they were told in Deuteronomy that the children grew up in ignorance of the ways of the Lord. Things like that don't happen overnight. It's one compromise at time. And in our present world, these compromises are happening faster than they usually do, which makes them a lot easier to see than they usually are. We run the same risk. If we tolerate sin in our life because it is normal, because everybody else does it too, this is, this is where that ends. They aren't normal. Sin is not normal, especially not for the Lord's people. That's, that's the hard part of the word. Brothers and sisters, did you see that pattern of reform? The work that the Lord wants to do in us this year? The word is heard. And Josiah responds in repentance and faith. Tears his clothes in grief. How could we have wandered so far? He does everything within his power to make sure that the word of the Lord was not only known by him, but, but read out loud so that everybody could hear, this is what we agreed to when we, when we signed in as God's people. This is how we should be living. We are not keeping his word. This is how we can keep it. The high places, the, adult, the idols are torn down, not just torn down, torn down and defiled. You can't use these anymore. The proper worship of the Lord was restored in the Passover, walking in holiness and blamelessness before him. This is what the Lord wants to do in you. He wants to reverse the course of these things where they have taken root in us and work his gracious transformation so that we'd be a different kind of people. 2022. Maybe it's time to clean house. What does the Lord want to do in you today? Do you see it in yourself? Do, do you connect with this, this call to, to hear the word of God? Maybe start that today. Do you hear this call? Does, does the Spirit provoke you? to put away your idols that you have been depending on outside of the grace and sovereignty of God? Is there something that you have been worshipping in his place that you need to not only stop, but defile?
make it so that you can't go back. Do you hear the call to holiness? You've been tolerating your sin, thinking that it's normal. You've felt the Lord calling you to holiness. I have some good news for you. Our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. The Lord is willing to pass over our former sins and to make us his sons and daughters. And so when we find those things in us, we bring them to him that we might experience his gracious redemption. And if you're willing, why don't we do that together now in prayer? Father, I thank you for your gracious reminder through the life of a faithful man. Lord, the the older I get, I feel like I can see more clearly how hard it is to stand upright when it means standing against the time. What an incredible miracle you have worked through this man's life. We pray that we would see that same miracle in our day. Lord, for so long we have lived in a world which despises you and a culture which is drifting ever further away from you. (laughs) All the sins of the Israelites are the sins of Australians. Every one of them. This was once a place where many, many, many knew your word. And now so few do with all of the sin and strife that comes from ignoring you. Lord, Australia has not been covenanted to you like Israel has, and yet it's still a grief to see that we here in your church are. We pray that here in your household, your name would be worshipped as it deserves that here in in our life and in my life, Lord, would faithfulness be found. Search my heart, O Lord, and if any impure way be found in me, would you bring it to my awareness that I might lay it at your feet in repentance and faith. Thank you that you have sent your son Jesus that I might experience your new mercies every day. Work your beautiful restoration in me. Give me the hope which is better than the hope of Josiah, who though he was faithful, still knew that the kingdom would fall. Lord, remind my heart of hearts that this kingdom will never be shaken. Cause us to walk in your ways, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.